Hi, this is Corey Olson, and welcome to Students of the Word. This podcast consists of recordings of the weekly Bible study I've started running in February of 2022. I'm doing close reading, uh, which means we're going very slowly, thinking really carefully about the words, how everything fits together, and then, of course, also thinking about what this means for us and what we do with it. Thanks for listening, and I pray that God will bless the reading of his word as we study together. Okay, welcome to episode six. So in today's episode, we're going to throw caution to the winds and actually discuss almost two whole verses. So I hope you're all braced for this monumental effort. Uh, Really, I found I couldn't stop. The message in verse five really sets us up for the big smack in the face that we get in verse six. And I was both excited and nervous to get to the first but definitely not the last example of John getting up in our business in this epistle. So get ready for the set and spike. Here we go. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back to Students of the Word. It's been forever, hasn't it? Man, Uh, so glad to have a weekend home again. Uh, And I've been looking forward to uh, to this, most of all, I've really missed uh, talking with you guys. I know it's been three weeks. I've only been, well, I guess I've been traveling for three weeks, actually. But um, uh, but anyway, really good to be back. And uh, it was fun. Uh, Devorah, it was fun to see you. And I know some of you I've actually seen in the meantime, uh, because uh, you uh, were able to attend uh, the uh, one, one of the moots that I was uh, uh, that I was that I was at. Um, I found myself sitting uh, at dinner with folks uh, with some of you uh, on uh, both both times. So that that was really great to be able to uh, to be able to see y'all. Uh, but uh, uh, Today, we are going to start the second paragraph uh, of 1 John 1, which is really exciting. Um, So in order to prepare ourselves to do paragraph two of 1 John 1, uh, the first thing we should do, of course, is reread the first paragraph (laughs) of 1 John 1 to make sure that it's fresh in our minds, especially since we've had such a long time off. Um, My my title for today is the suspiciously simple message. Um, We're, this is because this is a, there's a a lot of buildup, right? And we've had a lot of buildup and we've seen, John has done a lot of, um, well, I don't want to say disappointing. Well, I guess disappointing our expectations is fair. Um, at least it seems to me like that. It's possible that my expectations are just awry, right? I mean, I can't necessarily blame it on him, um, but it has kind of sounded that way, hasn't it? Uh, like, you know, you'll remember when we've been going through, we've seen this thing kind of coming up, right? Where things, ke- it, it, like it, it keeps getting pushed back a little bit, right? What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and are and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, right? And we're not yet really told exactly what is what are, what are all those things, nor have we had the main verb, right? But then we interrupt it and the life was manifested, right? The life was revealed, which we have seen and testify and proclaim to you. And we have seen and testify, uh, seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and which was manifested, which was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. There's our main verb, right? Like it's all been building up to the proclamation. What is the proclamation? What's he going to proclaim? But he doesn't do it, right? And instead, he doesn't proclaim. He explains why he's proclaiming, right? So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write 
so that our joy may be made complete. And we were looking at last time, um, we were looking at the relationship between verse three and four. And I was saying how that kind of, uh, as I said at the time, gives me a, a Hebrew poetry vibe, right? It, it sort of sounds a little bit like um, a, uh, a poetic repetition on his part, um, right? Uh, uh, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that you may have fellowship with us. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete, right? There seems a kind of echoing there um, uh, as he's sort of completing the statement. But of course, what has he still not done? He still hasn't proclaimed anything, right? Uh, that's the uh, uh, that's the thing that we we still see, right? Or that we're still sort of missing um, is that he's told us that he writes these things so that our joy. Right, we get, twice we get the reason. And, but never yet have we gotten the proclamation. We've twice referred to proclaiming, right? He says he's going to, uh, you know, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. Um, and he talked about how the life was revealed, right? The Zoe, the word of life, the word, you know, so we got the, the logos of Zoe, right? And the Zoe was manifested. And we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, right? The Zoe, the Zoe of the Zoe of the ages, right? Um, which was with the father and which was manifested unto us. So revelation proclamation has been this major theme in the first four verses. And yet it's been kind of sparse on the ground, right? As far as the action, as far as him actually revealing to us, him actually proclaiming anything to us yet. So it's been a lot of setup. Um, and so it seems like when we get to verse five, now, finally, the suspense, which has not been agonizing. I mean, four verses, it doesn't take that many seconds to read it all out, right? Uh, so it's not like he's been leaving us hanging for page after page. Um, but still, there's a certain amount of suspense for him to actually write the things instead of talking about why he's writing the things, for him actually to proclaim to us what he's seen and heard. Um, instead of explaining why he's going to proclaim it. And so verse five bids fair to uh, uh, relieve the suspense, right? Finally, to get around to saying what he is going to say. This is the message that we have heard from him and announced to you. Well, there we go. Okay, that's um, appealing, right? That's this, here, we're, now, we're, now we're cooking with gas, right? This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you. No more suspense, right? No more, no, we're, we're finally getting to it. That God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Okay. Um, right. Great. That's the announcement. That's the message. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. This is, that's what we heard from him and announced unto you. Okay. All right. Um, does that strike you as odd? It strikes me as odd. Um, I mean, it struck me as odd all the way through that we weren't getting the message yet. I wanted to, I wanted to, to front end load the message, but I look, it's not that it's not beautiful because it is right. God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. I mean, like, that's great. That's, uh, um, you know, not every verse in the Bible would look great, uh, you know, in like cross stitch on the wall, but that would, right. God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. That's lovely. But 
Um, after all the buildup, I expected, well, not, it's not that I need like secret intel or something. You know what I mean? But it seems really basic, doesn't it? God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Okay, so you're just, you're telling me something about God. So the message, the proclamation, right? This thing which we're getting, like it's being delivered to us. You know, this this comes straight from Jesus, right? And that thing that, you know, so like, I mean, I mean imagine building this up in a kind of a comparable way in a modern setting, right? Imagine if, you know, you were at a church service or something and the speaker was saying like, God has delivered a message to me today for you. And like, this is, uh, you know, this, this is, you know, a revelation of, you know, and, and this is going to, this message will like enable us all to become closer in fellowship together. And the message is a metaphor about God. Right. Just it's I'm not saying it's deeply strange. I'm just saying it's a little bit it's a little bit weird, right? Um, we need to kind of understand what um like what's happening here or like why uh we're why we're why we're doing this. Um Hillary says uh it does kind of raise the question, is this is this new? Yeah, right, exactly. Like is this uh yeah. Yeah, it's like, uh, we didn't we? I mean, okay. I'm not saying that that metaphor is exactly an old metaphor, right? I mean, it's okay. It's it's, it's nice. No, really. I mean, it's very nice. It, it is. Um, but it doesn't feel revolutionary, does it? Um, and yeah, at, at Devorah, it is, it's not brand new anyway. It is something that people knew from the Hebrew scriptures. Um, yeah, no, I mean, we... we we did have this information already, right? And again, it's fine. That's fine. It's, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not complaining, R- really. I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not complaining. It's, it's a perfectly good <laughs> message, <laughs> right? You can, I mean, it, that'll preach, right? God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. That'll preach, right? So good. That's excellent message. But um, here's what I think about it. And this is why I, I called this the suspiciously simple message is that I feel very clearly that I am being set up for something <laughs> that this is, this is not right. You know, um, there are, there are, there are those stories uh, which I know you guys have heard and uh, which have I, of which I've heard too, of like the, 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 like very old, uh, Apostle John, you know, being carried out to give a sermon and everyone like waiting eagerly to hear the sermon from the aged Apostle John. And then he just like lifts his hand and says, love one another and then gets carried back in. Right. Um, which, by the way, I totally believe. I'm not, I'm, I, it's like, you know, I don't think there's any authority uh, behind that story. But I buy it. <laughs> I mean, like, do I think John would do that? Oh, oh, yeah, I think John would do that. <laughs> that sounds like just the kind of thing that John would do. Um, but um, I, but anyway, like, it, it's it's, uh, but it's not that kind of a message, is it? Right? God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. Thank you for coming. Thank you. God bless you, and good night. Right? Like, we're clearly not done. Is what I'm saying. I say that not only because there are still pretty much five chapters to come, uh, but because 
again, this is this seems to be set up uh, for what is coming later on. Um, uh, yeah, Aiden, I, I agree. Aiden says, I feel like part of the point of John's message is the fundamentals may not be exciting, but that doesn't mean that they're not extremely important. Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You do get the sense, at least Aiden, the, the sense that it gives me is that we are starting not from square one in the sense of like, um, let me introduce you to this being called God, right? I mean, he's not talking to, again, he's not talking to people who never heard of God. He's not even talking to people who don't accept that uh, Jesus is the Messiah, right? As we, as he seems to have established in the previous paragraph. So he's not starting from the basics in that sense, but when he is in his teaching to those people, right? Who know about God. And Devorah, I suspect who do, who are familiar with the Hebrew scriptures, at least some of them, though I don't know that how much he's going to be leaning on that. Um, I don't think this is, I mean, this is, I don't think, believe this is a Jewish population that he's writing to. So they're not necessarily going to all have like been raised with the Hebrew scriptures in the way that, um, like Matthew seems to assume, right? The Gospel of Matthew seems to assume that its readers are going to know, like, uh, certainly the, uh, um, the, author of the uh, epistle to the Hebrews <laughs> seems totally to assume like a very intimate familiarity with the, with the Hebrew Bible. Um, so I don't, I don't see that those kinds of, uh, of, of, of assumptions that like he knows, like he doesn't even have to retell the story. He just like alludes to it in three words and, and you know, you know, you, you already know the whole context of what he's talking about. There are places like that in the new Testament, where we see those kinds of assumptions being made. I don't see that in John, but nevertheless, I do think it's possible that they will, uh, they will know that. But in any case, he's clearly starting within this context. He's starting from something like square one, right? Um, I'm going to deliver to you the message, right? I have a message for you. Um, Oh, church, right? Oh, believers in Jesus, I have a message for you. And it starts with, this is square one of the message. God is light and in him, there is no darkness at all. We have to start here because if we don't start here, none of the rest of what I am going to say is going to make sense, right? Um, What this sounds to me like more than anything else, um, and I think this was the very first moment I've, 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 I've said before, that the epistle of first John makes me think of math. Um, and I hope that uh, many of you won't be distressed. Um, I, I hope that I won't bring back too many uh, uh, bad memories of high school math or, or, or something during the course of this discussion, but there are a whole bunch of points on which I've been reminded of high school math um, while uh, reading first John. And I think this is the moment where it began for me, <laughs> where I began to think in these kinds of mathematical terms, um, because what this verse sounds like to me more than anything else is John establishing the givens, right? Um, you know, when you're, when you're set to make a proof, I'm going to be talking a lot about geometry <laughs> today, when you're set, so again, I really, I'm not, so that's just like a, tr- a trigger warning. I'm going to be talking about geometry. So I just want people to not be ambushed by that. You know, when it comes um, here, I'm thinking in particular, I know my wife would feel that way. Uh, <laughs> suddenly so, somebody started talking about geometry, which is her least favorite thing in high school. Anyway, um, it's like when you're asked to prove something, right? And you are first given 
a set of givens, right? Given that these two lines are parallel with each other and that this line over here is para is perpendicular to one of those lines, then prove this, right? That's kind of the, the way those sorts of, sorts of things work. This sounds to me like a given in that sense. This is the first thing we need to establish. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And I, again, I, I, I said it was not only simple, but suspiciously simple because it makes me feel suspicious. Um, have you ever had that experience? Uh, again, it's a math experience. Um, I, I remember this clearly both in math and in physics, actually in physics, even more than in math. Um, when you get a problem and you're given a bunch of facts, right? You start with a bunch of givens and it looks like it's going to, it's a really simple problem. You're like, Oh, this is obvious, right? I know, I know, I know just how to solve this. Um, it's a real, looks like a really simple application of, you know, some really basic rules and you just put those together and it's going to be trivial to answer this question. But, but one of the givens seems really out there, right? Doesn't seem to be related to that really simple solution that you have in mind at all. And at first glance, you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't even need to know that. Why did they tell me that? I don't even need to know that. Right. Um, whenever I came across a problem like that, I swiftly learned to grow suspicious. Right. Uh, and I was like, oh man, this is, this is going to, this is going to be really hard. Right. It looks really simple, but when I actually come to do it, there's going to be, it's going to, there's going to be like a step missing. Anyway, like it's, I'm, I'm not going to be able to do it the simple way. This is going to turn out to be really hard and I'm going to need that given thing. Right. Um, that's totally, that's totally going to be important. Like it, that gives it away. Right. It gives it away. And I feel like this is, um, I feel like this is exactly what, how I feel in a sense here, right? God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And I begin to feel John closing in on me, right? Because I'm like, okay, I can't argue with that. That's clearly true, right? I will grant you this, but I have a feeling that this given which seems obvious or unnecessary to state is going to be important is, is later on going to come around to kick me in the butt, uh, which of course I do think is exactly uh, what's going to happen and sooner rather than later. Um, but um, yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. There's kind of a sense of yeah. And about it, Devorah, I agreed, agreed. Um, and yet the, the, and it's it's not that I think he's going to say something strange about this exactly. It's just I now have I'm I'm beginning already to have this um, uncertainty right about how this is going to be applied, right? Because what has he done here? What has he done here? What is the work that's done by this message? God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. What he's done, it's, uh, I think if I have to, um, the thing that seems both most simple and most 
suspicious, <laughs> right? <laughs> ominous in a sense. And again, I'm only saying ominous. I, I'm not, I'm like, I'm not trying to say that John is saying something bad or something, but do you see what I mean by ominous? Like ominous. I only mean in the sense that I have the sense he's going to come around to say something that is going to make me very uncomfortable, <laughs> which is certainly going to be true. Like spoiler, John is going to say things that are going to make you really uncomfortable during the course of this epistle. And he is like setting you up for the spike right here. I mean, I am very convinced that that's what's happening. Um, and the thing that makes me most um, uneasy is the phrase at all. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. The message gives us a metaphor about God, but then it also sets up this contrast, right? There is no darkness, none at all in him, right? This, so this, there's this dichotomy, this opposition. It's a simple opposition. There is this over here. And there is that over here, and there is no likeness between them. There's a wall in between them. God is light, no darkness. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, Aiden, thank you. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna look at this. Okay. Um, let's look at the message here for a second. Okay, God is light, right? False, false, like photons, right? So God is light, um, and. Okay, so explain explain about the the negative construction here, Aiden, because I'm not sure that I I want to make sure I get it. And darkness in him not is none. So we've got a, we've got a a, a a thing happening here. Um, not is not. So is 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 this negative construct? Is that like a a kind of a emphatic double negative construction? Is that is that is that what I'm seeing there? Um, I say emphatic double negative. We used, we used, yeah, okay. We we used to do this. Uh, we used to do this in in, in English too. Um, up until, golly, when did we stop doing this? I think it was the printing press. The printing press wrecked a whole bunch of constructions in English. Uh, but anyway, yeah. I mean, really, like in, at least until the 18th century. Well, I'm not sure about Shakespeare, but anyway, in Middle English for sure. Um, if you had more negatives, um, it made it um, uh, twice as negative. So, like, if you had two negatives, um, it made it twice as negative as 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 otherwise, right? Um, uh, so you could. So, I mean, in modern English, we do the whole like over clever double negative thing, which I actually kind of dislike. I mean, sometimes it's useful, but more often it's just annoying. Um, you know, like if you say like. I don't not like you, right? Uh, then you might be saying perhaps a useful thing, um, but you're saying I like you, except it's not the same thing as saying I like you. Um, but anyway, in, if in Middle English you said I don't not like you, you're saying I hate you very much, <laughs> right? It's, 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 it's two times negative. Um, I think the most I've ever seen strung together in one sentence is four, um, four, neg- four negations of the same verb um, uh, or of the same idea, basically, like a complete and utter total forswearing that this thing could possibly be. Um, and, um, uh, and I think that 
so yes, in him, uh, not is none. So that's, that's, that seems to be a, the, the, um, is not none. There is not none darkness in him. There is not no dark. Like there's, there's like the total absolute, like the complete forswearing of darkness. Right. Let's, um, let's, let's look through. I, I I'm going to, I'll come back to my word list in a minute. Okay. Let's see. King James. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So we have the no at all here. The NIV has no darkness at all. Also, um, the NRSV has no darkness. And everybody agrees on this. Okay. CEV says doesn't have any darkness. Okay. Fine. And then the message, what is message? Not a trace of darkness. Okay. So everybody's, everybody seems to be, yeah, there ain't no darkness. That's it. That's it. That's exactly right. Is is that how they'd say it in Texas, Aiden? Uh, (laughs) Aiden, one of the people I got a chance to uh, uh, sit with and uh, uh, see and have dinner with uh, a couple of weeks ago in Austin. Um, Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Okay. So that's, so that's, so that's good. Okay. No, no darkness at all. Um, and let's look at the words here. False and scotia. False and scotia. God is light and there is no scotia, no darkness in him at all. So again, what we have here, um, what we have here is a, um, uh, an opposition, as I say. Right. This is something John's going to do a lot. This is the first time he's done it, but this is, he's going to do this a lot. Um, Provide us with pairs, right? Pairs of things which are just in opposition to each other. So he's, and he's established this opposition really clearly. God is light. And then there's no darkness. So we're not talking about more light than darkness. Like on the whole, it's pretty bright, right? You know, it's uh, um, no complete opposition between light and darkness, and there is none of the darkness over here in the light. By, uh, we're not told whether any light can penetrate the darkness, but there's certainly no darkness in the light. So the Phos and Scotia. So that's why one of the things, so I've added a new list, a word pairs list. Um, these, uh, I, these oppositions that John creates like this and which will be relevant. False and Scotia isn't one he's going to use many times. It's going to come up a, a few times in the first uh, couple chapters. Um, he's not going to carry it on all the way through. There are other bigger ones that he, which, which we're going to meet pretty soon, actually, uh, in just a few weeks. But, um, uh, but this is his first one. And it's a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty big one, right? Um, and Jeremy, you're absolutely right. Light and darkness should also have us thinking about Genesis. It sure should, shouldn't it? Um, especially since we had that, um, we, we've been talking uh, a couple times about recollections of Genesis, right? Um, certainly the recollection of, uh, you know, the opening of the Gospel of John, which is a recollection of Genesis, but uh, the Arche, right? The beginning, um, um, should be getting us to think about the arche, right? About the beginning uh, of the story, right? About Genesis one in the beginning. Um, so yes, light and darkness, the division of light from darkness, right? Uh, the, specifically in the, in the, uh, in the Genesis account, um, what does God do? It's God, God does addition and division, right? Throughout Genesis one, 
he creates light and he divides the light from the darkness. Um, so yes, thinking about light divided from darkness, that certainly seems to be what John is doing here. That is dividing light from darkness and telling us that God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. Now let's think more about that metaphor. Um, what is, what is the metaphor? Um, first of all, of course, note that it's a metaphor and not a simile, right? And I know that seems like a really pedantic English teacher thing to say, um, uh, but I, I think it's an important element of John's style. The difference, of course, between a metaphor and a simile. When you're making a simile, you're telling us that something is like something else in a certain way, right? When you're making a metaphor, you're just taking two concepts and putting them next to each other. And you're in a metaphor is more open, right? A metaphor is more complex. Um, open, I say, because you're really kind of leaving the reader to make connections. Um, and it, a metaphor can work simultaneously in whole bunches of different ways. And that's the kind of poetic style that we've seen from John already so far. So that's hardly a surprise. Um, God is light. Metaphor, right? Um, what does the metaphor suggest? What's the purpose of the metaphor? What's he getting at? How, how is, is God light? In what, in what sense? In what sense is God light? I mean, this is our message, so we, we, should, uh, we should definitely pay attention to it. What is he saying about God? Not in comparing God to light, but saying that God is light. Good, Sarah, yeah, that God um, makes things clear to make things seen and make things known. Yes. Yeah. And here, Devorah, that was the first one I was thinking of when you were talking about um, how, like some of the audience at least would presumably have been familiar with this from the Hebrew Bible, right? Um, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, in Lumine Tuo, we, we debemus lumen. Um, uh, in your light, we see the light uh, from the song. I forget which psalm that's from. Um, sorry, I quoted it in Latin because that's the Latin motto of Columbia University where I went to grad school. So uh, uh, that uh, uh, the Latin version of that, uh, I, I, and I loved that. Um, it was my favorite thing about Columbia, that that was its, uh, uh, that that was its, uh, its, its Latin motto. Um, but, uh, uh, but anyway, yeah, so God is, God is light. And in God's light, we see the light, right? Um, yes. So we think back about, um, uh, and you look back, Sarah, at what we have already been looking at, right? What does God do in the first verse? reveals, manifests, and the life, the Zoe was manifested, and we have seen it and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and which was manifested to us. So the life is with the Father to begin, and then what does the Father do, right? What does God do? God manifests it, right, to us. God reveals it. So that act of revelation, twice repeated, right, manifested, revealed, same word, right? Um, that revelation of the Zoe is what God is up to, right? I mean, it's, is there anything else that God was said to have done 
I don't think so. That's like his action here, right? Um, there's more that like, you know, there's all those actions about like what we did, right? Heard, saw, proclaimed, testify, all those things, right? But what God was doing was revealing. Um, so that certainly, Sarah, I agree, is very light-like, right? So God is light in the sense of like, what does he do? He reveals things, right? Um, he reveals things, yeah. Um, yeah, good. Um, light is what li- is what makes life possible. Uh, hey, uh, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, yeah, this is true in like lots of both literal and metaphorical ways, right? You think of the coming of the dawn. You think of the, um, you know, the 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 the, the, the you know day coming. Um, and, you know, warmth and sunlight and, you know, the, the, the light of the sun nourishing the plants and things, right? Um, I kind of doubt that there would be, I'm trying to think of what the word light would convey, the idea of light would convey to, uh, you know, pre-industrial civilization. You know what I mean? That is my first thought when I hear the word light is I think of turning on the lights, right? I am surrounded by light here in my dark basement right, right now. I can still see the daylight if I crane uh, my head to my one little window. Uh, but, um, uh, but that's what I primarily think of, right? Or like, oh, this is bad light or whatever. I need more light or turn up the lights or whatever, turn on another light. Um, but of course, you know, in a pre-mechanized society, the sun is very predominantly what they would have thought of, right? There are other sources of light, uh, candles and fires and things, but those are rather poor substitutes, right? Um, So I do have to think that, you know, the warmth and life-giving light of the sun would have been an idea that totally permeates the sentence, God is light, for people um, who don't, um, uh, for people who don't have like any other source of light. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and Rachel, you're right. They certainly would have understood what pitch dark was in ways that most modern people do not. Um, yes. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. Um, yeah. And I, I think about, Hey, it makes me think about the sun even more when I think about um, the, the, the opposition that he's making. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all, right? Um, this is another reason why I think it's the sun is almost certainly the dominant image that we have here. Um, and he's not said that God is the sun, so I don't want to lean on it too far. But again, like that is light, <laughs> you know? I mean, when you light a candle or when you light a fire, you're still surrounded by darkness. You're in a little, you know... And like candlelight isn't so very, especially, you know, when you spend most of your day, you know, all of your day, hopefully in the sunlight. Right. And then uh, uh, at night you light a candle. You're very aware of the fact that you were surrounded by there's, there's plenty of darkness around. Right. And you're barely holding it at bay with your little candle and not even very well. Right. Um, But God is light and in him, there is no darkness at all. So you, look up towards the sun. It is not like that. It is not like the candle, right? This little, you know, sphere of light 
in the midst of uh, in the midst of a dark room and you can still see the darkness right over there, right where the candle doesn't reach. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, that that's not what God is like, right? God is not like a little candle. God is like the sun. And again, and therefore, Heya, what you were saying, all of those things that we associate with sunlight, especially warmth, life, uh, nourishing of the crops, right? And, uh, 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 you know, the sustenance, if the sun goes away for any long period of time, we're all in, we're all in trouble, right? Um, so yeah, I agree. I think that that's really, I think that's really important. Um, Good. Um, Serena, I like that. Something about openness, honesty, right? Um, there is nothing concealed in God. Yeah, I like that. He's not, he's not hiding anything, right? How can he hide anything? Like the sun can't hide it part of itself, right? It's just like, there it is, <laughs> right? Um, as you say, there's nothing, um, there's nothing, there's, it's, it's, it's not keeping the light, the pure light. It's not keeping any secrets, right? It is what it is. It's also, and uh, Serena, I hope you see what I mean by this. I, I, I'm, I'm trying just to like add to what you're saying about openness and honesty, simplicity as well, right? Um, there's no, it's not, um, it's not itself, uh, you know, you're not seeing one part of it. And then later on, a later part of it is going to be revealed. Light is, Light is simple, or to say that in, in an even better way, as Alex is saying, light is purity. There is a kind of purity to light as well. It is unmingled with other things. It can be obscured, right? It can be blocked. Um, something can come between you and the light, but the light itself is, though. I mean, the clouds break and there's the sun again, again just, like it, just like it did, right? Um, even after an eclipse, it still does that. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Um, purity and therefore also goodness. I, the association between light and goodness, I agree, I think is, um, um, is important. And yeah, Aiden says the uh, goodness is bright metaphor comes from the fact that darkness is a, a very convenient situation to do evil in. Uh, in contrast, God is on full display. He has nothing to hide. Right. And also reveals, right. <laughs> any, anything anybody else might be trying to do and conceal in the darkness. Right. Um, yeah. And of course we get that kind of language back in the gospel of John very quickly, right? About uh, uh, those who don't like the light because their own deeds are evil, right? And they're trying to keep them concealed. They don't want them revealed. So, you know, we've seen that kind of thing, uh, that kind of thing too. And so again, it's notice that one of the, one of the trends that we're seeing here with the God is light idea, uh, with the God is light metaphor, it keeps working in both ways, right? It is on the one hand, it is t- absolutely telling us something about God, but it is also working on us in particular ways right? Um, God is, uh, God is giving life and we receive our life from him. And if we don't, we die. Right. So again, it kind of goes both ways. Um, God is open, right. Uh, unconcealed and removes our concealment, right. Penetrates any shadows in which we might be trying to hide. Um, uh, yeah, God is pure, 
which also introduces the aforementioned discomfort about not being able uh, to hide things. Um, yeah, light can't be contained. That's interesting, Jeremy. It's it can be as it, it can be obscured, but it can't be contained. Like you can't you can't like take a box of light and keep it with you and open it later on, right? In the darkness, right? So if you like put out a box right in the sunlight and then close it and then open it at night, the light doesn't come out, right? That's it, it can't be it can't be contained. For agreed for most people, Devor Galadriel can do that apparently, but most of us can't. Um, yeah, agreed. Agreed. Um, yeah, and that's interesting. That is interesting. Um, what does that suggest, Jeremy? Or it suggests, in some sense, um, right? As you say, light is transcendent. Right? We can't control it in that way. Again, that's a very alien idea. Like, of course, we can go. You know, okay, you know, you can put a flashlight in your pocket, right? In the modern world. Um, but again, to John's audience, that's not. It's not the idea, right? Even being able to light a candle uh, or a fire um, is not the same thing as containing light, right? Um, it is something. Uh, it is something. Uh, it is something above. Um, yeah, Emily, I like that. Uh, light is constant. Um, this, you know, like this, light, especially the sun, is constant even when we don't see it. Um, yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is always there. It can be. It can be. It, it can be. Um, it can be counted on uh, in that way. Yeah, you can reflect light, Jeremy. Right? You can get a mirror and shine it. I know mirrors were not so good, uh, uh, but you know you can still reflect light. Um, uh, you can. You can. You can kind of duplicate it, sure, but you're not creating it. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, good. Yes, as uh, Hillary points out, God, uh, uh, light is also associated with with safety. As of course we're going to we're going to be talking about walking in the light right away. Um, and though he won't make this reference uh, right off in in, in verse uh, you know six and seven, um, he will in chapter two uh, talk about stumbling. Right. Um, so yes, light uh, uh, makes things um makes things possible right makes uh, makes things safe like you you don't know what is around you right and that can be dangerous so interesting hillary says my dad who grew up in what is now south sudan loves to tell a story about his sister running along a path and his dad pointing a flashlight right in front of her revealing a cobra which she had just enough time to jump over instead of stepping on. Um, yeah, like that kind of thing. That's a, that, that would be a rather dramatic example of stumbling in the darkness. Um, but yes, uh, the, our surroundings being revealed to us, not only in the sense of giving life, like the nurturing of crops and things, but also of preserving life as well, you know, enabling us to, and, you know, I don't know, I, I don't know how many of you, this is one thing that I have a little bit more direct experience with. I'm, I'm a nocturnal guy and I spend a lot of my time in very dim light or in darkness. Um, uh, I often don't bother to turn on lights. And so it's, you know, but it is funny. I am aware often of the fact uh, when, that I'm, when I'm kind of going around 
very carefully, very slowly, right? Trying not to bump into things, uh, being careful lest something have been left in a place where I'm not expecting it and I'm going to trip over it or something um, compared to the simple confidence with which you can walk, right? When uh, you can see around you, when the, when the light is there. Um, and so, yeah, I'm sometimes struck by the, the sort of contrast, right? Of uh, like the... Um, the cautiousness, right, of movements in the darkness compared to, um, you know, the swiftness and confidence uh, of movement uh, in, in the night, in the light. And so, yes, you're right, uh, Alex, in that way, light is akin to knowledge, uh, while darkness is ignorance. Yeah, we can kind of think about the metaphor in that way uh, as well. Um, it, it, it reveals all things, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And Serena, I, I agree. I think that's important too. Serena says at the same time, light is also mysterious. We still don't really know what it's made of or how it works. Um, and it can be extremely dangerous. Too much light blinds and even kills. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you you can blind yourself by staring at the sun. That's never a good idea, right? Again, I'm still thinking, still trying to think, especially from like a, you know, a first century perspective. Um, but yeah, even they would know that you're going to hurt yourself if you stare straight at the sun. Um, but um, uh, yeah, and it is certainly mysterious. I mean, th- there's a there's a reason why so many world religions focused on the sun deified the sun you had the sun associated um with god with deity um there are good reasons for that uh it is a a very a very mysterious thing um yeah yeah um good yeah sarah you were saying a similar thing about light being associated with with understanding yes yes agreed an extension of the revelation yeah yeah, I agree. I agree. And there is no darkness at all. No uncertainty, Sarah, right? No confusion um, in God. God uh, reveals truth because he is truth in that way, right? He is the revelation. Um, yeah, yeah. And Hillary, that's interesting. Light sort of gives a context to everything else. Light is what makes it possible to perceive and interact with our surroundings. Yes, it is um, like the enabler in that way, right? It gives us, well, I was going to say gives us the power to do things. It's not quite right, but enables us to utilize. I mean, the power that we have to do things wouldn't be much good if... um, we couldn't interact with this. Now you can do things in the darkness. Again, I've learned to do many things in the darkness. Um, uh, uh, But yeah, uh, God is light and him is no darkness at all. Um, That kind of blessing, that kind of revelation is something that uh, is, I think, um, you you know, he's kind of, uh, he's kind of getting at here. Okay. So, if these are some of the ideas about the the metaphor, you know, it's um, it's it's great to take, you know, a moment and kind of glorify God for these things, right? To remember who He is and and what He is not, right? God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. Um, I want to go. We skipped the first half of the verse though, which is okay because I mean, we get this big setup and then ta da! 
big spotlight on the message, which is where, of course, I wanted to start for that reason. Um, But let's not skip the first half. This is the message that we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So first, I need some help with the Greek. The word message. So we've got message, the noun message, and the verb announce, right? This is the message that we have heard from him and announce unto you. Um, And when I'm looking at the Greek here, right, this is the message. So uh, angelia, angelia is the message, and anangelomen is uh, the announce thing, right? And both of those seem to be related to, but not identical to the word that we got earlier on, right? We were, got, we're getting apangelomen, proclaim. That's the proclaiming word, right? From verse three, that's, that's our main verb of the first sentence, um, right? You know, um, that which we have seen and heard, proclaim we unto you, right? We proclaim. Apongelomen, and then I think it was the same. Yes, Apongelomen in verse two. Um, the um, uh, you know, and we proclaim to you uh, the you know we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the life eternal. Right. Um, <clears throat> so we got Apongelomen up there, and in verse five that was proclaim. Then in verse five we get Anongelomen, which is very similar but not quite the same, right? Which is the word that we get as announce here uh, in the NASB. And message is angelia, which is, seems clearly to be the root word of those verbs, right? Um, so uh, I, okay, so Alex says the app prefix is really all that's added to the earlier cases. Yeah, yeah, so it's, Apangelomen. So we're, we're, it's like the, the proclaiming is delivering the message, right? Um, apo is away from. Okay. Okay. Right. So message out, right? To, to, to message it forth. That's what the, pre, so the, the prefix is putting a direction away from, right? So it's when you're, you're sending out the message, right? picturing throwing a, uh, a, uh, a, a paper airplane, right? Okay. Um, and then what's the, uh, what's the anangeloman then? What's the, what's the on prefix suggest there? And how is it different from the apo prefix? Cause again, that's, it's, it's clearly similar, but it's not quite the same. Um, Okay. But this message, Angelia, is clearly the root, right? This is what we've been working up on all along, right? The proclamation that he was saying. So this is it. This is the thing, right? This is the message. This is the message that we were getting messaged to before, right? That he was going to proclaim. Um, okay. It's maybe Anna from on top of up towards throughout maybe hmm like message yeah i'm not sure i'm seeing the implications that like uh this sort of subtext of anangeloman um yeah in the midst of among in the midst of huh so it's the difference between sending out the message, 
what you're doing when you're a pendulumen, right? When you're, when you're, I know the omen is the first person plural ending. Um, uh, huh. Okay. So Aiden's getting a definition for a nonjulomen, uh, a, a nonjulain, which is uh, what the infinitive presumably to carry back tidings from. Hmm. Okay. To carry back tidings from. So like to bring a message rather than to send a message. That would make sense from the difference of prefix. I mean, that would seem to fit. different. So you're, you're sending out the message versus you're bringing home the message. Something like that, right? Um, okay. Okay. Um, the on prefix indicates repetition, maybe? Okay. All right. That's interesting. Um, well, he certainly is repeating it. No question about that. Um, how do we do see how, how do we do this word in different translations? NASB gives us announce for the verb. King James gives us declare. The NIV gives us declare. The NRSV says proclaim. CEV says, tell, we're telling you. And the message says, um, passing on to you. We're passing this message on to you. Um, Okay. So it's interesting. In other words, I'm not seeing a huge difference between those, between the apongeloman and anongeloman necessarily. Um, I don't know. I mean, he has shifted, like he's not using the same word, which we know he loves to do. Um, I can't help but think it's, there's some significance to it. Um, Is there something more, um, I don't know, intimate, I want to say? Maybe not. Who knows? Maybe I'm, uh, maybe there isn't a, a major distinction and I want to make one and there isn't, it isn't there. I don't know. Between a pongeloman, a pongeloman and a nongeloman. Um, but, um, yeah, it's a little tantalizing, but if we take it as pretty much the same word, um, let's go to our, uh, let's go to our word list. I didn't even include that one in our word list, though arguably I should, as this is now like the third time, four if we count the noun version uh, that we've gotten this. Um, But I did include another new one on this list, which I really should have included before. Um, But this is going to happen a lot when we come across words and we're like, okay, we've now seen this word too many times. It's time to put on the list. The ones I put on the list the first time we saw them were ones that I know are going to be coming up. Um, these other ones that are sort of becoming more important as we uh, look at them will be emerging. Here is oops, sorry. Here is the word that I added. Um, I didn't have that one before. I was kind of taking that word for granted because it kept being included. You know, was included twice in the in these. But we've got it again, and I'm 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 ready to put it on. Uh, this is the message that we have heard at KK Omen. Um, same word that we got uh, at the very beginning, right? That 
which was from the beginning, which we have heard, right? And then we got it again, um, that which we have seen and heard, proclaim we unto you. Um, and this is the message that we have heard from him. Um, we keep coming back to the hearing. Um, why? What's interesting about that? So one of the things, when we go back to uh, the first four verses, I think that there's something uh, that we, on the one hand, I think that we were right to say when we were looking at those trend of noun clauses in verse one, I think that we were right to see a kind of trajectory of increasing intimacy, heard, seen, looked at, handled, right? Um, Approaching closeness, approaching levels of attention, intimacy of contact. I think that was right. Um, But I think that that's not all that there is either. Um, I think that the, the verb heard gets the short end of the stick in that uh, sort of construal of things, doesn't it? Um, and I think it's a pretty conspicuous one, especially since that's what he's going to come back to in verse five, right? This is the message that we heard from him, right? Um, well, we've heard the message. He, we know we still plural, right? Um, that we have heard. Yep. Still plural. So the message that we have heard is, uh, I mean, of course it's, of course we've heard it, right? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a message, right? It's, it's words that we've heard, right? Um, so of course he's going to say that, but isn't that rather, um, uh, isn't that rather conspicuous under the circumstances? I mean, circumstances in which we have the logos of Zoe, right? The word of life. Um, The word of life stuff was what we were focused on at the beginning. What do you do with words? You hear them, right? Um, Hearing, think of, again, I'm not trying to undermine what we were seeing before. I think that's there, that increasing intimacy and everything. But if we focus on just hearing for a second, when you're talking about hearing words, that becomes a really powerful metaphor, doesn't it? When the Logos is the son of God himself, right? Is the, uh, you know, when it is the word that was made flesh and dwelt among us, there is a sense in which hearing the message, right? Hearing the message from him is like a recapitulation of the incarnation itself, right? If the divine word is made flesh and dwells among us, when his words, when his message enter our ears, right? And our hearts, again, the word is made flesh and dwells within us right? Within our hearts. Um, that is um, powerful, right? Um, that's a really, really, and so there's a sense in which, again, although again, I don't just, I, I'm, I'm not going back on what we said before. I think it's totally there, that increasing trend of intimacy concerning the word of life stuff. Um, but that hearing is pretty important from the start, 
right? We have heard the word. And once you've read the gospel of John, you can't ever hear that phrase again, right? Have you heard the word? Um, to receive the word. Um, this is the message that we have heard from him, from the word, the word's own words, the word's own messages, message that we have heard and that we are announcing to you so that you can hear it. And of course, that message is about seeing. So exactly, Sarah, as you say, to hear the word of life and see the light of life. Um, yes, we've got both of these, both the seeing, the sight and hearing metaphors uh, or you know, images working, working at the same time, right? Um, so you've got this emphasis on hearing the message from him, you know, the word. Um, and that message is about the light of life, right? God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. And of course, we should remember that back in verse three, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, right? Um, we had the pairing of the seeing and the hearing in, 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 in not just in the list at the beginning, but at an equal pairing there, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. And what we heard, the message that we heard and that we announce is about what you can see, right? Is about... Uh, God is light. Um, yes, Jeremy, I agree. That trend of like, if you hear um, that, like the, 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 the Jewish Bible sense, the old Testament um, sense of hearing, right. Um, I, uh, connoting a response of obedience. Yeah. Yeah. If you hear the word, right. Then that, that doesn't just mean it, you know, reached your ears and maybe you didn't pay attention to it. Right. Um, Yes, that is often associated. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, if you have ears to hear. Okay. Um, so, I'm tempted. To go on and see what's coming. Shall we start verse six? That'd be fun, right? Let's try it. Hey, who knows? Let's try it. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. In a sense, this is more of a cliffhanger to me than when we were cutting off in the middle of a sentence before, because it's so simple, right? Um, Again, not that it's not profound, because it is, but again, there's got to be more coming, right? So where does it go with it? If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Oh man, I knew it was coming. <laughs> I knew verse five was a trap, right? God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So, uh, whoa, what happened there? Sorry, I hit a button apparently. Um, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Therefore, right? And John doesn't say, therefore very much 
Paul is very fond of the word therefore. Uh, uh, John doesn't use therefore very much. He just ambushes us <laughs> instead of drawing attention to the conclusion, right? What, how is this, how is this the, the given that he gave us in verse five to be applied? If God is light and there is no darkness at all in him, then if we say we have fellowship with him, but walk in darkness, we're obviously lying. Yeah. Ouch. Light and darkness again, right? Thinking about all of the things that the light means. What does it mean to walk in the darkness? If we have fellowship with him, koinonia, our important word again, right? Right? We're totally, uh, let's see, um, right? Darkness in him, not is none. There it is. Yep. Uh-huh. So remember how our fellowship was with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ? Right? So, yeah, we have fellowship, but that's okay. Like, that was a, also established a couple of verses back, right? And that was very comforting. It was very nice. You know, I talked about John kind of burying the lead in a sense, like that seemed like, hey, like you have fellowship with God and his son, Jesus Christ. So Jesus is Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. His, you know, Jesus is the son of God and the Messiah. And you have fellowship with God, with the father and the son. Like, yeah, big news. That's a big deal. Okay. So we have koinonia with him. And, but of course that's just, and with each other, obviously that's the more important thing for John in verse, in verse three, but, oh, so, um, you, we have, uh, we have fellowship with God, right? We're in koinonia with God. Isn't that great? Wasn't that heartwarming? Wasn't that lovely to talk about when we talked about having koinonia with God? What does that mean? He springs the trap in one verse, the trap of verse five, right? So, um, yeah, if you, um, since you have fellowship with God, obviously you can't be walking in darkness, right? Given that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If you're in fellowship with God, you must be walking in light all the time. How You can't possibly not walk in light if you're in fellowship with God, right? I mean, you can't be in the sun and in darkness at the same time. It's, I mean, you just can't. If you are under the noonday sun, you're, you have no excuse for stumbling. You can't pretend, right? If you're walking in darkness, you're lying if you say you have fellowship with God. It's just not true. It can't be. It's impossible. Okay. So what does walking in darkness mean? Now, be careful, because here's where we try to desperately find a way out of the trap, right? <laughs> Always have to be careful of that with John, because there will be many, many times when we're going to be, when we're going to try to uh, squirm our way off this particular examination table, right? Walk in darkness. Well, think of all those things that we said about light and darkness, right? We're already talking about the metaphor. 
what does it mean? I can go back and look at all the observations we made, right? Um, think about light being um, open and honest, Serena, like you were saying, right? Not hiding anything. Light is the reviewer, which certainly seems explicitly connected to what he was saying about it back in verse two, especially about God, right? Light is the light that reveals all things about us, about our surroundings, right? We were talking about how light empowers us to walk with confidence. If I'm walking like I walk, as I said, I'm, I'm conscious of the fact that when I'm walking in a dark room, I walk very differently than when I'm walking in the light. I mean, and if I'm walking in a lighted room, like I walk in a dark room, I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> there's something, there's something very wrong there. Right. Um, if you're staggering around and you're feeling for things and it's, you, you're, you, you, you can't do that. You won't do that. That won't happen. There is no walking in darkness. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but remember, light is life and goodness and purity as well as we were discussing before. It's um, tempting to say that walking in darkness, by walking in darkness, he means walking in ignorance, right? Yeah, that must be what he means, right? Um, It must be talking about how we interact with the things around us, stumbling, you know, things like that. Dangers like the cobra, right? Um, you know, uh, yet yeah, th- there could be things that we might not see. So we should, you know, in other words, okay, right. Got it. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So, okay. So, um, if we trip, we have nobody to blame, but ourselves. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That makes me feel better. It feels like a way out of the trap, right? If we trip and fall, we have nobody to blame but ourselves, right? God has revealed all the, you know, we're in bright light, um, you know, but if we walk as in the darkness, if we stumble like we would have in, in the darkness, it wouldn't have been our fault, right? There's nothing we can do. We're, you know, powerless to not stumble over things and stuff in the air or like whatever, but in the light, you know, so we have to be, uh, you know, uh, yeah. Um, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Um, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, light and darkness is clearly was, it seemed felt clear at the time. It was also about life and death. It was also about good and evil, right? God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is good and there is no evil in him. God is goodness, right? There is no badness in him either. Clearly, if we're walking in darkness, we're not walking 
in God's light, right? Um, we are to walk in darkness means to be walking, you know, working evil ourselves, right? If our own deeds are evil, as the Gospel of John says, right? If that remains true, we're lying and do not practice the truth. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Oh man, see the trap? If we have fellowship with him, if we have koinonia, if we're joined with him, then we cannot walk in the darkness. It's not possible. There is no darkness at all in God. He is light. And so therefore, we can't, it's not okay. We have no refuge in which we can hide the darkness in him. Look at how he emphasizes it. We lie and do not practice the truth. Let's go to the Greek there. Um, we lie, pseudomathia, and do not practice the truth, aletheia. Yeah, aletheia. Uh, probably one of the top three most important words in this whole book, I'd say. And this is another pairing. I didn't put it on my pairs list yet because I didn't know that we get to verse six. Uh, but um, this pairing, lying and the truth, uh, you know, pseudo, right? Pseudomathia, pseudometha, and aletheia. Um, that's, uh, yeah, that's a big opposition here. Um, yeah, so, right, practice. So the word practice, the verb, we lie, we're doing two things. We're lying and we're not, right? So, poyomen, uh, uh, poyomen, right? That just, it just means, it just means do. Is it like, um, um, there's another similar word, isn't there? I think John's going to use it at some point soon. But anyway, um, it just means, it's right, a very generic word that just means do. Yeah, yeah. We don't do the truth. Does that seem repetitive? Yes, it does. And why has he repeated this? We lie and don't do the truth. Well, yeah, you know. Um, uh, sure. If you lie, you're not telling the truth. That goes without saying, doesn't it? Not to John, apparently. We lie and do not do, do not practice the truth. The NASB has really drawn it out. Do not practice, right? In order to emphasize the, that word, right? Because, and I, I, I can see why they did that because the word do um, in, uh, in English, in modern English can almost be used as a helping verb, right? Because um, it, yeah, it's an action. Exactly, Sarah, it's an action. It, he's, notice therefore the pairing isn't quite what we expected, right? We lie and don't tell the truth, I would have thought would be the obvious pairing, 
right? If we, because we, we talked about saying, we started off with saying, right? At the beginning of the verse, right? If we should say, if we should say this, then we're lying and not telling the truth would seem to be the logical conclusion of that thought, right? But that's not what he says. If we say this, we're lying and not doing the truth, not practicing truth. And this, I think, so yeah, he's clearly reinforcing the opposite. That would be why to say it again. If he just said, we lie and do not tell the truth, it would be a mere repetition for emphasis, right? We lie and do not tell the truth. But he doesn't just repeat. He does repeat it, but he doesn't just repeat it. He changes the verb, right? Now, certainly lying is a way of not practicing truth, right? Not practicing truthfulness. Um, yeah, now you could say in a sense, Devorah, not being true, but I think that's almost exactly like the the word um, but I'm forgetting how to pronounce it. What was that word? Uh, poyoman. Um, poyoman. That, that word, that's about action. It's about doing, making things, uh, doing, doing something, making something, um, making something happen. Um, so in other words, Devorah, it's talking explicitly about our actions and not about our identities, right? Isn't, you're not, it's not about who you are. It's about what you're doing. It's about what you're doing. And what you're doing is walking in darkness. If you're walking in darkness, if that's what you're doing, then you are lying and you are, you're not doing the truth. To do the truth is to walk in the light, to have fellowship with him, to walk in fellowship with him. There's something that it's, it's this. So this is definitely about our doings, what we do. And why it seems really clear to me, deeply, uncomfortably clear, that walking in the darkness is a metaphor for our actions, for our sinful and corrupt actions. If we do things that are darkness, that are not of God, because light, God is light, and there is no darkness in him and no darkness comes from him either, right? What comes from him? Light comes from him. And if we are not reflecting that light in our walk, if we are not full of his light as we walk, if we are not surrounded and illuminated by his light as we walk, then if we say we have fellowship with him, we lie and we're not doing the truth. We're not practicing the truth. Yeah, Jeremy, I agree. By saying practice, he's talking about our lying in deed and not just in word. Yeah, our saying we have fellowship with him becomes a lie. It becomes a lie. But the actions, right? The actions of walking in the darkness, that's also not doing the truth. Because truth and light are the opposite sides of this pairing here, right? Light, darkness, truth, lies. Um, 
So, Sarah, that's okay. It sounds to me like it. let's let's see if we can we can, let's see if we can squirm off the table that way. Is there a sense in which claiming fellowship here is grasping at divinity without the humility of confessing our need for Jesus? That would be pleasant. Let's see if we can make that work. Except I have a bad feeling about this, Sarah, because um, we were perfectly willing to accept koinonia with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ in verse three, (laughs) right? Um, uh, This assertion, right? I mean, we didn't even know we were getting set up in verse three, did we? We were just basking in that totally unsuspectingly. (laughs) Um, So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And indeed, Kai Kai, remember? And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Indeed. Like, yeah, obviously, right? We have koinonia with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Yeah, there we go. Um, so, he just said we have fellowship with him. Right? We can say it too. The only problem is it's not the saying that we have fellowship with him. That's the problem. The problem is the two things. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in the darkness, if we do both of those things, then we're lying. The problem is not that it's inappropriate to say we have fellowship with him. We're claiming an impossibility. I mean, how I read this is that John is saying, if you say you have fellowship with Jesus and you are walking in sin, it's exactly as if you're saying, I'm swimming and I'm perfectly dry. Right? Um, I mean, that's, it's just, you can say it. You can say it but you are proving yourself a liar by the act of saying it. It's like, it's, it's not like no evidence needs to be brought against you. Right. I mean, like there's no one has to prove you're lying. If you're walking in darkness and saying you have fellowship with him, you just, you can't. Right. I mean, it's, 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 it's the kind of, that's why God is light. No darkness at all. It's like saying, you know, uh, I'm full and hungry at the same time. Like I'm wet and dry at the same time. Like, I mean, it's just a simple contradiction. He has made the moral life into a simple contradiction in terms, right? You can't say it. It makes no sense. It is like a pure, basic simple, logical contradiction. And I think that the repetition, we lie and do not the truth, gets at both things, right? What are the problems here? If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, well, you've got two problems, right? (laughs) You've got two problems here. Problem number one, that thing you just said is a lie. 
Problem number two, uh, you're walking in darkness. <laughs> That's also a problem, right? We lie and do not practice the truth. We don't, what you're doing isn't the truth, right? Yeah, Alex, I think we are going to get around to adding Poyo, uh, the, that doing, practicing uh, to our word list. Yeah, I, I think I agree that that is, that that is important. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, there's the trap. Um, John's going to talk about this a lot. We're not going to stop here. I mean, okay, we are going to stop here for this week. Um, we're not stopping here. There's a lot more to say. Um, and John is certainly not giving a hopeless message. But I think it's important to acknowledge that we cannot squirm off of this. Right? John laid a very effective trap and we're caught in it. If God is light and there is no darkness in him at all, then it is a lie. It is simply cannot be true to say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness. You cannot possibly have it both ways. It is an utter contradiction. And that is going to be a foundation on which John is going to be building a lot over the course of the book. And this is, I think, the fundamental, um, the fundamental thing that creeps people out about the about First John. Um, people don't know how to deal with this, right? People don't want to deal with this. Um, I think a lot of people, and I know. Um, I apologize a lot of times when I talk about like what modern Christians think and say, there's totally obviously a, uh, a bias towards like the evangelical tradition when I talk like that, because that's what I know. That's where I was raised. So I know that the same issues aren't necessary. I'm not, I, I, those of you who are from other traditions, uh, Catholic tradition, Eastern Orthodox tradition, you know, various other traditions, please don't think that I'm, like trying to paint everybody with the same brush. I'm just talking about what I know. Um, but I would also challenge you. It may well be that, um, you know, people in Catholic traditions, people in uh, Eastern Orthodox traditions, people in Anglican traditions don't have exactly, the, or don't have exactly the same issues or say it in exactly the same way. Um, but I am very confident that these issues are just as relevant. The words might be different. The, the experience of it might be different, um, but um, from the outside, it is not my experience that other mo- traditions of modern Christianity don't have issues with this. <laughs> so um, uh, anyway, um, yeah, and absolutely, Devorah, I agree. I hope that people from other traditions will share their experiences too. But anyway, to go on and say what I was going to say, um, I think that a lot of modern Christians really like to say things like, um, I'm not perfect, just forgiven, right? Which, of course, is true. You are forgiven, right? Um, but I, it seems to me that one of the consequences of um, 
the emphasis on the forgiveness of sins, which has been especially dominant um, in the evangelical tradition. I'm not saying the forgiveness of sins isn't important, um, uh, though I do say that that's certainly not the anything like the entirety of the gospel uh, that Jesus was preaching throughout what we can see in the four gospels. Um, that wasn't when Jesus comes into a town, he doesn't say, Hey, everybody, uh, I'm peddling the forgiveness of sins. Um, that's not what he said. He did forgive people's sins, but in the context of his actual message, right. Um, his actual good news, which was that the kingdom of God has come that, is the gospel, right? That's, look at what he says. That's what he says all the time, right? Anyway, um, one of the consequences of the, the massive attention that so many Christians place on the forgiveness of sins is that sinning is okay, right? Not necessarily in the full Pauline sense of like, you know, let us sin so that grace may abound. Um, but sometimes a little bit like that, right? Um, it's okay if you're a sinner because Jesus forgives you. This is true, right? But John has something else to say about this, right? It is okay that you were a sinner, right? Yes, you've been forgiven. Yes, you've been brought into the light. Now, you have koinonia with the Father, and his son, Jesus Christ. Now what? Right? Now what? Remember, we've been talking about that since the beginning. This seems to be, you know, I think this is, uh, this is the core of what First John is about, right? You've been forgiven. You've been accepted. You now have koinonia with the Father and his son, Jesus Christ. Now what? Now what? Um, and his what is the message that he's delivering right away is uncomfortable about that right if you are walking in darkness you don't say you have fellowship with god okay what does that mean <laughs> what does that mean how does that work out if we can't escape from it how do we apply it um, well, we have got a uh, we've got a lot yet to go here. Uh, we're only two ver- now. I'll, we're not quite done with verse six. I want to do more uh, with uh, uh, truth um, here. I want to I want to think about that a little bit more, um, um, and we'll come back to it many times. I don't want to set up coming back to it uh, a little bit more. So we'll 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 talk a little bit more about six next time, but we'll move on. And of course, in verse seven, we're going to hear him describe what not lying looks like, right? Um, what happens? So anyway, um, yeah, okay. So we'll stop there. Thanks everybody. This was, uh, this is, this is really, ch- this is the first of the many really challenging things uh, that, uh, that we're going to be looking at. Um, and uh, I'm glad that you're here to... <laughs> look at this with me uh because this is uh this is challenging challenging stuff um all right so our next meeting um next week is easter happy palm sunday by the way uh next week is uh is is uh easter for us western folks 
so I'm not going to be available because uh, I'm going to be with uh, my family, uh, uh, family gathering on Easter. Um, so I think we're going to we're going to we're going to miss next week. Um, and then April's a hard week for weekend weekend meetings. Um, but the week after. Uh, as he says this, he has a sudden surge of doubt. Um, oh, no, it's not true. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yep. Um, no, in fact, I'll be away with my family the week after that. Doggone it. I completely forgot about that. Well, here's the good news. The good news is I'll be back on May 1st. So, sadly... Two more weeks. I'm glad we squeezed in two verses here today. That was a, that was that was good considering it's the only meeting we're going to have for like in a five week stretch or whatever. Um, yeah. So no no meeting next week for Easter. No meeting the week after that because um, I'll be uh, traveling with my family. Um, but I will be back the week after. So it'll be May first. May first, and we'll be back again. Uh, so sorry for the manifold uh, uh, delays and things here. Um, uh, during March and April, but uh, May and June should be better. <laughs> should be according to my calendar, May and June should be substantially better. Um, uh, thanks. I also apologize. I know there are some people I haven't been able to add to the uh, Slack channel yet, um, but I am. Um, uh, I, I will. I will. I will get to that. I promise. Uh, I, again, I've been traveling, and um, uh, it's been a crazy several weeks. So I've been behind on a bunch of things, but I will, uh, I will make sure to add folks who haven't been added. Uh, and, uh, we will get back to discussing some things. There's a lot to talk about here. Uh, so look forward to getting back into that anyway. Thanks everybody. And I will see you guys in three weeks. Um, soon though, uh, in the fullness of time, uh, we shall uh, come together again and talk about walking in the light and see what that's all about. Uh, for John. So uh, thanks everybody. And I will see you guys in a few weeks. Bye now. Okay. That's it for this week. I'll be back with another episode soon as we continue our March through first John. I'm glad you could join me. Godspeed.